You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. I don't understand. I'm like, that's your child. Kelsey was two months pregnant, and that's your child that you just like took their life away before they even had a shot at having one. And, you know, killed the mother of your girlfriend and you don't feel a fucking thing. You don't go to the media and say, like, you know, we need your help. You don't cry. You don't act sad. You don't let it affect your life at all. Welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And today is part two of the Kelsey Schelling story. So if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you're going to have zero idea what we're talking about. So go back, listen to part one. Good for you. You can binge it all and then come join us right now. But before we jump into the case, we got to talk about what day is it today, Billy? All right. Well, today is Wednesday, March 31st, and it's Manatee Appreciation Day. Oh, my gosh. That is my favorite animal. I love In a the manatee. entire world. I love the blobs a manatee. of the sea. I love them they so much. They are so cute and fat and gentle. Oh, I love them so much. They're just a little blob floating around. I don't know if I like a manatee or a beluga whale better, but they're both national treasures in my mind manatees have like wrinkles they're so cute i love manatees yeah they're the sharpays of the ocean oh do we have any other good days mm-hmm. or do we leave it at manatee what you know what no i, think I will can do like better, to say but sure you know what this was the the symbol of freedom for a five-year-old national crayon day <laughs> it was nothing like getting that 64 box of crayola crayons yep that's when you know you're fancy. You're not getting the eight mm-hmm. colors. You're getting the 64. No. no. They're just saying, go for it right now. I wonder if kids still color with crayons. Is that something they do, or do you just have the iPad? Yeah, they they still do that. Yeah. Go color a clown or something, kids. Color there. a manatee. That's what you do. Color a clown. Color a manatee. Color yes, a manatee. Color a All right. Well, that's enough of that because we have a really robust episode to get into. So, And we still have our first degree tailor with us. Yes. Jack was supposed to we say do. that, but just want to remind you <laughs> okay. all. Taylor's still with us. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I was supposed to say that in the first 15 seconds and I f- fucked up, but let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this 
could be you. Last week, we took you through the February 4th, 2013 disappearance of 21-year-old Kelsey Schelling, who was last known to be driving two hours to Pueblo, Colorado from her apartment in Denver. This drive took place only hours after receiving confirmation from her doctor that she was eight weeks pregnant. The father was her boyfriend, Dante Lucas, and she was driving to Pueblo to see him and talk about their whole situation. Suspicion immediately fell on Dante, who following Kelsey's disappearance, had changed his story several times. Dante was subsequently caught on surveillance footage moving Kelsey's car several times before draining cash out of Kelsey's bank account with her debit card and finally abandoning Kelsey's car at a nearby hospital where it was later discovered by police. Kelsey's family and friends launched social media campaigns, held vigils, turned to the media, and conducted foot searches for Kelsey. Noticeably absent from each of these searches was Dante himself, To observers, it was clear that Dante was responsible for Kelsey's disappearance, and evidence supported his guilt too. But years would pass before any significant action would be taken in Kelsey's case. The question here, of course, is why. Kelsey's friends and family were helpless and heartbroken as Dante remained free. And they were also struggling to get police to take Kelsey's case seriously. So not only did the Pueblo police not arrest Dante, it seems as though they were putting forth the minimal effort into trying to get to the truth. As far as why the police didn't put the adequate resources forth to find Kelsey and properly investigate Dante, now that answer is going to be complicated. Especially because eight months after Kelsey's disappearance... The Pueblo PD held a press conference and announced that they did in fact believe that Kelsey had been met with foul play, but authorities still hadn't found her remains. When Kelsey never materialized, the fact that they couldn't tangibly prove a murder had taken place became their crutch, despite the fact that all of the other evidence suggested that Kelsey was no longer alive and that Dante very well had something to do with it. Deep down, I wanted to believe that it was a different situation and that, you know, maybe she just needed to decompress. But knowing Kelsey and how communicative she was with her friends and family, I feel like I knew that she was dead. So the bottom line is that publicly, the Pueblo PD presented a facade that made it appear as though they very much cared about getting closure for Kelsey's family. But behind the scenes, it was an entirely different story. And meanwhile, Dante Lucas carried on with his life as if nothing ever happened. And as time passed, it was infuriating for Kelsey's friends and family. Here's our first degree Taylor. I think he's emotionless in this entire situation. I think that, you know, he didn't care in the beginning about her when she was alive and they were dating. The last real significant efforts made in Kelsey's case were in 2013, when a canine search was conducted in a remote area of Pueblo. But while the police investigation lost steam, Kelsey's family refused to. They offered a $10,000 reward, and then a $50,000 reward. And they hired private investigators to work on Kelsey's case themselves. 
it shocked me every fucking day for nearly five years that he wasn't arrested. And this is one of those cases where the more you find out about it, the more that it blows your mind that the police dropped the ball this badly. And it's, it's literally just sickening. It's how they acted from the very beginning. The alleged lack of movement in Kelsey's case persisted for years, but the private investigators hired by her family remained vigilant. And in 2016, Kelsey's family filed a civil suit against the Pueblo PD, naming a handful of officers. Also naming the suit was Dante, his mother, Sarah Lucas, and additional members of his family. The suit went point by point detailing the Pueblo PD's alleged wrongdoings in the handling of Kelsey's case. Brace yourself. Because the accusations are jarring, disturbing, and perplexing. So according to the suit, when Kelsey went missing in 2013, her family immediately filed a missing persons report for Kelsey through the Pueblo PD. But the private investigators found that as of February 5th, 2015, there had been no record listed within the Pueblo PD online records database that Kelsey Schelling's disappearance had been logged as an open investigation assigned with the police department, and there was no case number. So we get the hypothetical gray area with Kelsey's case not being categorized as a homicide because they didn't have remains. But what could their excuse be for the fact that there was no documented case opened on behalf of Kelsey at all? Beyond that, the suit alleges that the Pueblo Police Department failed to retrieve items from the Denver Police Department, which would have enabled the Pueblo PD to enter Kelsey's DNA into CODIS. In fact, Kelsey's mother learned from an independent source that Kelsey's DNA needed to be listed into CODIS and still hadn't been. Kelsey's family had to learn this process and take the necessary step to obtain a DNA profile personally for it to be submitted to CODIS themselves. Okay, so what happened here is... The Denver police was given, I believe, like a hairbrush, a toothbrush, something with Kelsey's DNA on it. Mm-hmm. And the Pueblo PD was supposed to pick it up from Denver and then extract the DNA, put it in CODIS so that if they found remains or if they found a person, if they found DNA evidence anywhere else, they could match it to Kelsey. And that was never done for whatever reason. So, you know, how significant is that? Billy, you're the CODIS guy. Uh, that's incredibly significant. Just putting it into into any database, even if they put it up into GEDmatch and, and be able to to find that person. Mm-hmm. If her body, if 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 her killer had taken her body, if we're if we're you know presupposing that she was killed, had taken her body, moved her to another state, they find skeletal remains in another state. They're not going to think you know they're not going to put two and two together. We have you know, 40 to 60,000 unidentified remains sitting in storage lockers and, and pauper's graves right now. And nobody had put, you know, a lot of them are for older ones. A lot of them are for newer ones. There's absolutely no reason for this to have happened. Yeah. It's, it's perplexing. It is. And, and we're not done. So obviously early in the investigation, Kelsey's family leaned on the media heavily as a resource to get word about Kelsey's disappearance out to the public. And the suit alleges that on the heels of one of these press conferences, certain members of the Pueblo PD interfered. There was even an instance where Kelsey's family decides that they want to have like a meeting and speak to the media about this and ask, you know, for the public's help because they were not getting any help from the police department. And... When the police, like, learned about the fact that her family were going to hold a press conference, they drove over to the Lucas residence 
and told Dante and Sarah, you need to get in front of this and you need to go defend yourself. So knowing that he was a person of interest, they deliberately went over and and talked to Dante and his mom and said, you need to go and defend yourself. Yep, all of this is very hard to understand. But I want to get back to Kelsey's car. After it was found, Kelsey's family, understandably, wanted it processed for evidence. Well, according to the suit, a detective named Robinson from the Pueblo PD told Kelsey's parents that Kelsey's car had been processed, and unfortunately, it had been completely wiped clean, and there was no evidence recovered. Now, this statement was repeated several times over the span of months to several of Kelsey's family members, as well as to the independent investigators hired by Kelsey's family. And however, when these private investigators started questioning the processing procedures of the Pueblo PD, they requested to process the car independently, and they got approval. In January of 2014, the PIs requested to meet with Detective Robinson without the presence of Kelsey's family at the Pueblo Police Department. And it was there that Detective Robinson confessed that he had lied to Kelsey's family about the evidence found in Kelsey's car. So he had stated that they indeed recovered a substance from the trunk of the car that is consistent with dried bodily fluids, and they'd also recovered two large palm prints off the front seat headdress of Kelsey's car. And there was no excuse offered as to why they lied about this, stating that, quote, the car was wiped clean and no evidence was collected. And it's alleged that Detective Robinson further stated that the evidence was currently being stored in the police department's evidence room and had never been submitted for testing with the crime lab. And at the time the suit was filed, this evidence had still not been submitted for analysis. The suit then claimed that this was a deliberate attempt to conceal or destroy physical evidence. Right. And so here is the kicker. So when the independent investigators were finally able to process the car themselves, they recovered three fingerprints from the driver's side visor mirror. They identified undercarriage damage on the passenger side of the car and obtained what appeared to be a human hair from the damaged area. They also obtained samples of this hard yellowish substance that appeared in several locations about the front of the vehicle. And remember, it's alleged that these findings were in addition to what the Pueblo PD found and lied about finding, and ultimately never tested anyway. Now, the private investigator goes and looks at Kelsey's car, and he said, I found evidence here, so there's no way in hell that you guys combed over her car three times and didn't find anything. So then the detective admits that he lied, and when... He admits that. He said, well, you know, we never went it out, sent it out for processing, and we didn't, uh, we did destroy some potential evidence. He never gave a reason why, never said, like, you know, oh, we're busy, or oh, I just don't think there's enough here. And even like the private investigator, when they, you know, did their search of the car and they found evidence, uh, the detective literally refused to take it. He wouldn't take it into the police department's possession. So originally, there were a few other things that they didn't do. One of them was Kelsey's car had, like, on-star navigation, and the detectives refused to follow up with General Motors to get that information. There were blood stains found in Sarah Lucas's house. 
that the landlord had contacted police about and said, hey, we have bloody carpet. I know that my tenant is the mother of the suspect in this young girl's disappearance and murder. And the police refused to go out there. The landlord, after weeks, said, you know, how about I cut it out and I bring it to you guys? They said, don't do that. We wouldn't accept it. There was a tip about a corpse in a lake that they never went to investigate. And then there were indications from search dogs about evidence in Boggs Creek. So Dave, in the beginning, they completely denied having an open homicide investigation. I know that all of Taylor's assertions are shocking, but they're all documented in the civil suit. And one more worth mentioning is that when the Pueblo PD did ultimately agree to send surveillance footage out for professional analysis, it was later revealed that the professional was a member of a local outside law enforcement agency, and this high-tech crime-fighting software that was utilized to analyze the surveillance was Photoshop. So there was no enhancement of this imagery. So in the surveillance we're talking about is we see a man going to pick up Kelsey's car from the Walmart parking lot, and he's not identifiable. He's wearing a hoodie. And then we see a man dropping this car off at a hospital. Again, not identifiable. But this figure is the same height as Dante, but you can't see his face. So the idea is whoever dropped this car off is the person who killed Kelsey. And it's like they didn't give a shit. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to have that surveillance sent. But they didn't. And it's like, this could ID your killer and you don't give a shit. This shit you're testing in the car could identify your killer. You don't give a shit. It's it's hard to understand the thought process here with the Pueblo PD. Still to this day, would like to know why things went down the way that they did. To me, it, it makes no sense why a law enforcement official would just not look into this further. To me, it just it didn't make any sense at all. It was a range of things. Like the ball was dropped in every single possible way. Yeah, and it's not just identifying the face too. You know, having you can go through and you can identify, uh, you know, outfits that they're wearing, sneakers that they're wearing. You know, it's not always the face um, when you're talking about enhancing video. So as we said, Kelsey's family, despite the setbacks and obstacles, had never stopped fighting. By now, Kelsey's family had offered a $10,000 reward for information about Kelsey's disappearance, and then they upped that to $50,000. The Pueblo PD has been publicly put on blast for their blunders related to the Kelsey Schelling investigation. And they defended themselves and said that the discontent from the family was due to a lack of communication, noting that it wasn't as good as it could have been. And then there was another blow. That civil case that was brought forth by Kelsey's family it was dismissed. Unfortunately, the police officers had some sort of immunity. It's complicated legal stuff, but what I got from it essentially was that police, you know, they have to have this law of immunity because otherwise, you know, in cases where, it, you know, if they could be sued for anything, they wouldn't want to go to work and do their jobs. They'd, you know, be in fear of being sued or punished And so the judge gave them immunity and, you know, Kelsey's family lost and the judge dismissed it. It's like mind boggling and it makes you so angry because like you see how hard like cops work in cases to solve murders. And it's a devastating like gut punch to know that they didn't do that for Kelsey. Now, it's exhausting to try to put yourself in the shoes of Kelsey's family. You can't ever 
come to grips with what they're going through. But thankfully, a turning point to all of this did come. And it was right around 2016, that's three years after Kelsey's disappearance, that the efforts of her family began to pay off. They got to a certain point where they were trying to get help from other people. And eventually the CBI, Colorado Bureau of Investigation, takes over. And after the case is in the hands of the CBI, finally, some real movement begins to happen. Agent Kevin Torres was appointed as lead investigator. When it took a turn was when Kevin Torres from the CBI took over the case. And that's when it really took off. It was a huge relief. And I remember, you know, talking to my our friend Allison about it. And, you know, she was like, the time is like, she's like, it's coming, it's coming. Like, it, you know, it's coming together slowly. But this is the first person who's actually tried to investigate everything in its entirety. And that's a hard thing to do when you're coming in to a, a case that's technically a cold case. And there's no body. And the police didn't, they didn't even take a buckle swap of like any of Kelsey's like DNA like they didn't you know take any hair from her tooth or hair from her brush or her toothbrush so late as two years into the investigation and so Detective Torres had so much that he needed to do on the case it was you know from the moment he took over like she wanted to get justice for Kelsey and, you know, for her family and friends, of course. And I think that that's what it takes sometimes is just somebody who connects with this and, like, takes it seriously and feels for the family and puts himself in their shoes. The CBI had a plan, and step one was digging up the backyard of the home Dante and his mother, Sarah Lucas, lived in at the time Kelsey went missing. And by the time the dig happened, they had moved from this rental property and new tenants had moved in. And Detective Kevin Torres eventually got a warrant to dig up the home that Dante was living at when Kelsey was murdered. And there were search dogs that, because they're trained to hit on the scent of, like, human decomposition. But at that point, all they hit on was the scent, and the police didn't find anything. But... Keep in mind, that was also four years after he murdered her. So any evidence, you know, that was probably in there was destroyed. So although the dig at Dante's old address was a wash, there was much more to be done because it turns out that Dante hadn't exactly kept a low profile. He had been meeting women on the Internet and he was just dating around. And one woman he had met on the internet was named Jessica. And a heads up here, Jessica is a very polarizing figure in this whole case. And it's unclear why exactly she became involved and motivated to insert herself into this investigation. But apparently, she had heard of Kelsey's disappearance and that Dante remained a free man. So she befriended him on Facebook. And she later said that her plan was to get close to Dante with the hopes of getting him to implicate himself in foul play against Kelsey. And here's the thing. Jessica allegedly succeeds, and she does get Dante to admit various aspects of Kelsey's disappearance. One of the things was admitting to being the one who dropped Kelsey's car off at the hospital before it was discovered by police. And this should be great information, right? It should have been. 
but it was later revealed that Jessica had fallen in love with Dante and the relationship had become an intimate one. So this is a complete shit show. The whole thing is really bizarre to me. And it's unclear why Jessica would put herself in this situation that was clearly dangerous. Right. And while Jessica's accounts and motives were muddled, thankfully, they're not the only thing the CBI had to go off of. The CBI learned that Dante, his mother Sarah, and three of their family members had actually beat up and robbed $1,000 from a man. Weird. Uh, The CBI decided to jump on this opportunity to arrest Dante for this robbery so they could get him off the streets because they really did know and believe that Dante was responsible for Kelsey's disappearance. And thankfully, they understood the ongoing danger Dante posed by allowing him to remain free. So interestingly, when the CBI did arrest Dante, he was actually on his way to the airport with a one-way ticket to Phoenix, which is where Jessica, the strange woman who inserted herself into this case, lived or where her family lived, something like that. But he was going to seek refuge with her. So she sort of flipped. um, And she was a good guy, allegedly, when she started, but flipped and got sucked into Dante's little web. Once the CBI caught up with Dante, they arrested him for this aggravated robbery charge. And once Dante was in an interrogation room, they pressed him. They reinterrogated him about everything. And eventually, Dante slipped up. And he admitted that he, in fact, was the man who was this identified figure in the surveillance footage moving and dumping Kelsey's car on the day after she went missing. And it was Dante's admission that convinced the DA that they finally had enough to charge Dante with Kelsey's murder, despite the fact that they still hadn't uncovered Kelsey's remains. Dante was arrested on December 1st of 2017 and was charged with the first-degree homicide of Kelsey Schelling. I was shocked, obviously in a good way, because I, you know, didn't have faith in the police to do their job anymore. And so as much as, like, I, you know, we had hoped for it and... You know, I knew that Detective Torres was working really hard. I still didn't have that faith in law enforcement because for four years, you know, there was nothing. And so when I found out that there was an arrest warrant, you know, I was I was overjoyed. And like when I saw like his mugshot and how awful he looked, I'm just disgusted with him. I'm glad that he's where he is. The arrest had come four years after Kelsey vanished. Four years is a long time for Kelsey's friends to theorize about what they think happened on the night she went missing. Here's Taylor. I think he was planning to kill her. I would bet my life on it because he knew that she really wanted that baby and that she was really excited to be a mom. He knew that there was no way in hell that she would terminate the pregnancy. I mean, she had already sent pictures of the ultrasound to her mom, to Dante's mom even, And looking back on what we know about that night, Dante kept Kelsey waiting at Walmart for more than an hour before telling her to drive over to his grandma's house. And Taylor has a theory about that. I think the reason he was taking forever, like, number one, he was always, like, late for shit. But to take that long and for Kelsey to just be like, okay, I'm going to come to you. Maybe, like, he was, like, nervous or, like, still trying to figure out what he was going to do with her and, like... You know, like, I think that that also could factor into why he didn't meet her right there. And I also think that, like, him not really thinking about, like, the cameras. And so maybe he took a long time to where he knew Kelsey would just go there and meet him. And also just complete, like, disregard for her and her time. 
You can go crazy trying to figure out how Dante pulled off this plan. But law enforcement theorized that Kelsey was strangled due to the fact that no murder weapon was ever found. And now that Dante had actually been indicted for murder and pleaded not guilty, the hope was that some of these burning, looming questions would be answered in a courtroom. Dante's arrest happened in 2017, but it would be four more years before the trial would commence. It's heartbreaking the amount of waiting Kelsey's family and friends were forced to endure. I took French in high school, and I was so excited that we were going to France for Jack's wedding so I could practice my French. And it was only when I got there I realized just how rusty I'd gotten. And I wanted to communicate in French with the locals there so badly. If you can relate to this experience, then Rosetta Stone is right for you. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You can choose from one of 25 languages like Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a quick and natural way. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Rosetta Stone is so convenient, and it can be used on your desktop computer or as an app, with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. So if you're a super busy person and you don't have time to go to the gym, or maybe you just don't even want to go to the gym and work out in front of a bunch of different people, you need to check out the Aloe Moves app. I'm obsessed with this app. So it makes it easy to keep your wellness routine on track because they have everything in one place. There's yoga, there's Pilates, fitness classes, mindfulness, self-care tips, healthy recipes, and so much more. So either you're a beginner or you're an advanced person, Aloe Moves has the flow or class that will fit your schedule. Their classes range from five minutes to an hour, depending on what you're feeling that day. So even if you only have five minutes, you can just get some movement in. I used Allo Moves all during the pandemic. It was amazing. Like I was on my yoga journey and I was obsessed with it. So you can find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and journaling for those quiet moments, even if you don't really want to get a workout on. And when it comes to sleep, it's just important as fitness and nutrition, and they've got you covered with Allo Moves. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to Allo Moves com and use code first for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's allomoves.com, code first, A-L-O-M-O-V-E-S.com, code first. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a 
a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. After several delays, Dante finally went on trial for the first-degree murder of Kelsey Schelling on February 3rd of 2021, almost eight years to the day from when Kelsey had vanished after driving from Denver to Pueblo, Colorado to see Dante. And the prosecution had a clear plan. They're going to prove through text, cell phone data, and surveillance footage that Dante was undoubtedly the one that killed Kelsey, who was two months pregnant. And they believed even the movement of Kelsey's car the following day also told a story. One that ended with Dante driving Kelsey's car alone before taking money from her bank account and dumping it. And these texts exchanged that evening would demonstrate that Dante's actions were planned and that he had made a concerted effort to lure Kelsey away from her home to see him. And the motive was clear. Dante was clinging to some pipe dream that he was good enough at basketball to play in the NBA and a child was not part of those plans for him. Dante still, like, thought that he had a chance to go to the NBA, even though, like, okay, Dante, like, you played basketball at junior college where anybody could get accepted. And he was so narcissistic that, like, he genuinely believed that he still had a chance. Because the way that it happened and, like, the way that he coaxed her down to Pueblo, it was sickening, and you could tell that it was completely premeditated. The fact that Kelsey's body had not been recovered didn't rattle the prosecution, who believed that there is plenty of evidence to convict without remains. But the defense's strategy was to claim that Kelsey's disappearance was always just that, a disappearance. This is a missing person's case. Without a body, there was no possible way to prove that Kelsey was even dead, let alone murdered by Dante. The defense pointed to the fact that Not only were no remains found, but there was also no murder weapon or any other smoking gun evidence. Countless witnesses were called for the prosecution, friends of Kelsey who detailed the abusive aspects of their relationship. They explained how Dante used Kelsey for money, for her car. He called her names, shattering her confidence. And when Kelsey would try to move on, Dante would suck her right back in. Besides all of the text evidence we've already gone over, additional texts from Dante's phone were presented in court. Texts that revealed that instead of worrying about where Kelsey and his unborn baby were in the days after she went missing, Dante was focused on something else. Hearing all of the text messages that Dante had sent out, I don't know how long after it was after he had murdered her, but he, in the following days, like, was texting multiple prostitutes, asking about meetups at hotels, you know, all kinds of things like that. Prosecutors called witness after witness that made Dante look, well, really terrible. 
There was testimony about how Dante and his family were ripping down Kelsey's missing persons posters. Posters that mentioned nothing about Dante, by the way, just that Kelsey was missing. Testimony about how Dante's story changed over and over again. Testimony about evidence found in Kelsey's car. There was even testimony about Dante's mother's possible involvement. At one point, Dante's mother took the stand and detailed how, on the same day Kelsey vanished, Dante told her that Kelsey had miscarried and was no longer pregnant. And here's a tidbit that was shocking, but not necessarily surprising. There was testimony detailing about how the Pueblo PD obtained Dante's phone on February 15th of 2013, two days after Kelsey went missing. But the Pueblo PD never asked for access to this phone for two years until 2017. And this, of course, was Detective Robinson, who was named in Kelsey's family's civil suit. He's the one who testified to this and admitted it was a mistake. So how hard can you actually be investigating this case if you have your lead suspect's phone and you never open it or ask to open it for two years? It was actually four years, yeah. And it's like... Four years. Even Star- worse. Yeah, it's just, I don't understand it. It's so ridiculous. The uh, the It's one thing for a police department that may be talking with the DA's office and and they're saying, we don't have a body. We do, There's certain DA's up. We, we have this question all the time. Some places will will go for a murder conviction if they don't have a body. Some of them just won't. A lot of it comes down to the DA's office. But the fact that, and originally I, I always lean on the DA's office for that, and then me and uh, Alexis were having a conversation. He was like, no, the police really, really did a lot of things wrong in this mm. one. This is one of the most glaring examples. I mean, how many pieces of, pieces of evidence were right in front of their nose? And they're like, no, no, thank you. Mm, I guess go. we don't want any of that. Right. Like, it's it's actually insane. Yeah, and there's speculation. I was pressing Taylor on this. I was like, why? Why would they help Dante? Why would they tell Dante, you know, they're having this press conference, go defend yourself? Why? And there's no, there's nothing like tangible you can really prove, but the rumors are is that Sarah Lucas, Dante's mother's father, was in law enforcement. And there's something oh. there, but I don't have any evidence of that. Either way, it seems like it's either they're incompetent or they're intentionally protecting him, and it's hard to discern which, but I don't know, in the face of all this glaring evidence, you know, why they would drop the ball so glaringly. But we have to admit, though, the totality of the circumstantial evidence against Dante is truly astonishing. And all of this testimony is hitting Dante's defense really hard. But the most shocking, perhaps, was yet to come, because prosecutors called an inmate who had shared a cell with Dante while he was in jail awaiting trial. And apparently these two had developed a friendship. And on the stand, this inmate claimed that Dante said to him at one point, they'll never find Kelsey's body, quote, and that's because Dante and his mother hid it. So this is jaw-dropping testimony. Everyone who thought he was guilty believed he disposed or hid the body in some way. But now his mom is being implicated in this crime. And they weren't done calling witnesses, but there was one problem. A woman who was considered a star witness for the prosecution, 31-year-old Roxanne Martinez, was shot and killed on February 25th of 2021. That's just last month. Only days before she was slated to testify. Roxanne's testimony included details about how Dante confessed to Roxanne that he had, in fact, killed Kelsey. And this looks really bad. For a number of reasons. The Denver PD arrested 29-year-old Emmanuel Chandler for Roxanne's murder. And they've said that they don't believe the murder is connected to the trial. Several members of Roxanne's family have spoken to the media and have given conflicting statements in that some of them 
absolutely believe that Roxanne's murder is connected to the prosecution of Dante. So the investigation into Roxanne's murder is still unfolding. So more info may be available soon. Either way, it's incredibly tragic that Roxanne has been killed and she was part of this investigation as well. Right. And the fact that Roxanne was murdered is horrific and it's tragic. And the emotional ripple effect of her murder is felt by her loved ones. And it's awful. I cannot even imagine. But the loss of her also meant the loss of her testimony in this case and whatever implications that loss meant for the trial as a whole. Roxanne was slated to testify about admissions Dante had made about the crime Now the only testimony to these aspects of this case would be coming from that prison inmate who had shaky credibility. The only other witness you have that said, like, yeah, he confessed to me that he did it was an inmate in prison. So in my mind, I'm like, fuck, like, in some people's eyes, the only credible witness who's, like, you know, was going to testify that he admitted to murdering her is shot dead and now she can't testify? Like, it, it was nerve-wracking. It was frustrating. It was like, you know, then my mind is like, well, can they use the testimony that she did in pretrial? And just freaking out and, and wondering, you know, was that it? Was that what the jury needed? Was to not hear a witness saying that, you know, he confessed to her? Was that what they needed to decide, nope, he's not guilty or we can't find him guilty? Roxanne's murder was the catalyst to a lot of sadness, confusion, and of course, speculation. Because you have to admit that the timing of the senseless loss of life was very convenient timing for Dante. So questions here. Did Roxanne's murder have anything to do with this trial? Like we said, Denver PD says no. They call it a domestic violence incident, but there's very few details available since this just happened. But Roxanne's murder in conjunction with COVID CERNs actually threatened to derail this trial altogether. But in Kelsey's friends and family who were following the trial were blown away by this development. You'd have to be. It's just a very strange plot twist to happen in the middle of this trial. I really started freaking out when one of the biggest witnesses for the prosecution was murdered. Like heart dropping to your stomach, you know, like racing back and forth, sitting back in like disbelief. Like, is this going to blow the entire fucking case? Her testimony was going to be that Dante admitted to her that he killed Kelsey. Roxanne Martinez's cousin said, I don't have a single doubt in my mind that her murder was connected to this trial. And then I'd, I'd also heard that Dante had joined a gang in prison. So then, you know, my mind goes to, well, if he joined a gang, who's to say that they couldn't have somebody killed, you know, someone could order hit and then boom, you know, it just, it's too... It's too coincidental, and it's not just like she was any witness who was going to say, oh, I knew Dante. You know, this was a woman who was going to say, Dante admitted to me that he murdered Kelsey. They haven't been able to definitively connect it, though, but, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. Luckily, the trial was able to continue despite the several obstacles that threatened to derail the proceedings. Testimony continued, and the next witness would provide another piece towards the answer of the ever-looming question of where is Kelsey? Two employees from the Pueblo landfill were called to testify. And they said that between 5 p.m. February 5th and 5.30 a.m. February 6th, an unknown person had damaged a padlock that secured an entrance gate to the landfill off of Highway 78. And that damage to the lock occurred while the landfill was closed for the evening. 
It had been hit with a hammer or a metal pipe. After looking at this lock that was tampered with, landfill officials informed the police and showed them security footage. And the security footage actually shows the headlights of a vehicle idling nearby. So you may not be able to glean a lot from this alone, especially since the surveillance video was pretty poor quality. And they couldn't really get to the make and model of this car. But earlier in the trial, cell phone experts had testified that Dante's phone had pinged off of a tower in the same area as the landfill, which is also where the landfill is actually really close to where Dante lived in Pueblo. So after the prosecution rested, the expectation was that the defense would call several witnesses, but that's not what happened at all. They didn't call a single witness. And this made it clear that they were relying on an acquittal due to the fact that this was a homicide case without a body. And onlookers had no idea what to make of this. One of the biggest things that stood out to me was the fact that the defense rested immediately. We were all kind of like, what the fuck? Like, we didn't expect that. I'm, like, freaking out, like, thinking, like, they're they're just going to try to drag her name through the mud even more. But then when I found out that they rested, I was terrified because I thought, that means that they're pretty fucking confident that the prosecution didn't do enough to get a conviction. The prosecution's closing argument reminded the jury that, quote, all evidence presented at the multi-week trial showed that Dante Lucas killed Kelsey Schelling despite her body never being found. And the defense's closing argument referred to the case against Dante as, quote, the biggest stretch in Colorado history. The jury then went out for deliberation, and Kelsey's friends and family were on pins and needles. There was so much circumstantial evidence that... You would also, any normal person would be like, this guy fucking did it. Like, I don't need a body to to tell me that she's dead. I don't need, you know, a murder weapon. I don't need those things to tell me that this man is responsible for it. But at the same time, there are people who can't get past the fact that there was no physical evidence, technically. So honestly, I, I was worried. I barely slept, you know, all of those nights and... I I was so terrified that the jury would come back and not find him guilty. I was freaking out. In only a few hours, the jury shuffled back into court and had reached a verdict. My heart was racing. I remember I was sitting on the couch with my dog. I didn't think that the jury would be back that fast. And it's scary because when they come back in three hours, the majority of the time, it's not guilty. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, Taylor was not able to attend the trial and neither was the media. So Taylor got her updates from a reporter on Twitter who was covering the trial day to day. And I just remember seeing Dante Lucas found guilty for the murder of Kelsey Shelley. And I was crying. I was crying a lot. And I remember the first person I called was my mom. You know, and I just said, Mom, they, they finally got him. I don't know what would have happened if... He was found not guilty. I don't know what would have happened. I know what I felt, like a friend of Kelsey's, and like I keep in contact with her mom, and I just, you know, tell her, I'm like, I'm thinking about you and Kels, like, you know, like, I I don't know how she's gotten through every day. I don't know what I would have done, like, as a mother, and like the way that she 
handled it so graciously because I would be losing my mind, destroying, you know, the person's house. Like I would be losing it. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to that jury because all it took them was three hours to talk and say, he did this. He killed Kelsey Schelling. The now 28-year-old Dante Lucas was sentenced shortly after the verdict came down. He was given life without the possibility of parole for the first-degree murder of Kelsey Schelling, who was pregnant with his child. He is serving a sentence at the Centennial Correctional Facility, a maximum security facility in Cannon City, Colorado. He was transferred to this facility from the Pueblo County Jail, where he had been incarcerated for the last four years. On the heels of Dante's sentencing, Taylor recalls calling Dante with Kelsey first disappeared when they all knew he was responsible but remained free. I just think about the fact that, like, here I am, like, calling this person, like, just saying, like, to tell us where she is. Like, I know you killed her. And just, like, evil laughter. Evil laughter. And he has no remorse or regard for any of it because when he was sentenced, his breathing didn't even change. But Taylor was relieved at the verdict and about Dante being locked up for the rest of his life. I was just like overjoyed, but I was also really sad too, because, you know, in my, I knew eight years ago when this happened that Kelsey was dead, you know, I didn't have any realistic hope. Uh, Like, of course there's always that hope, but I didn't have that hope. Like, no, she's, she's going to be found one day. But even, like, knowing in my heart that she was gone, like, when you finally hear those words, when it's declared in the court, when it's, you know, when it's officially stated, you know, that he he did this, he killed her, um, it made it even more real than it felt for the past, you know, eight years. Dante's now exactly where he belongs, but this story and the calls to action in Kelsey's case are still not over. And that's because Kelsey's family is desperate to give Kelsey the proper burial and resting place that she deserves. Throughout the last eight years, despite being found guilty, Dante has refused to speak on the subject. Fuck, dude. Like, you've been doing this for eight years. You finally got convicted. Her family and friends are torn up, distraught, defeated. Like, and you still can't even, like, give them the courtesy of saying where she's at. I don't know how, like, it works if after you're found guilty, like, even though he was already sentenced, I don't know if the judge could have been like, well, if you tell us where she is, you know, then we can give you a chance at parole or whatever the case may be. But I just believe that it's out of pure narcissism and, like, just no no guilt and, and no shame. We told you about the testimony at trial related to that landfill. The belief is that Kelsey was likely placed there by Dante, but we don't have 100% confirmation on that. If her body is at the landfill, there would be several challenges in finding her at this point. One thing that her mom said was, what do we do now? And I don't have kids. I can't fathom the pain of literally screaming for help and nobody's listening. Nobody who has any power is listening to you. And your daughter and your grandchild are are gone. And for eight years, you're stuck trying to do this on your own and trying to hire, you know, private investigators and 
you know, putting your own money into finding your daughter and it's, it's such a big relief, but at the same time, I'm like, well, you know, I've known this from the beginning and, you know, she's still not back and, you know, she deserves to be laid to rest and not be wherever she is, like not have that be her final resting place, but it it is bittersweet and it's also disheartening to know that we still don't know where she's at, I guess. Um, and that, you know, none of us will ever know what really happened to her. And we end today's episode with some parting words from Taylor, Kelsey's friend. I don't want people to forget her and I don't want people to forget what happened to her. And I hope that, like, if someone who is in an abusive relationship, like, toxic like this, like, hears this, like, I hope that all those women can get out of it before what happened to Kelsey happens to anybody else. I just get, like, so, so angry because, you know, like, if we knew something was going to happen, we would have done something to stop it. I've had friends get out of relationships and tell me like I I used to always think about like what if what happened to Kelsey could happen to me all right well a huge thank you to Taylor for being with us for the past two episodes. If you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the first degree at Billy Jensen at Alexis Linkletter at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We are talking true crime all the time and stick around because we are gonna kill some time and answer some of your questions from Facebook. And remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not but not that close. Happy Manatee Day. Happy Crayon Day. Oh, manatee. So cute. Bye. Shout out to Jared Monaco for sound design and creating our original music for The First Degree. Thank you to our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for today's episode include The Pueblo Chieftain, News AU, ABC News, KOAA News, the Denver Channel, KDVR, and as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source in court documents. Everybody loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. So it's going to take you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. I'm really feeling this because Lex and I both are really like into Gatsby stuff right now. So I am loving the vibe of this game. And you're going to step into the role as June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. It's perfect for all of the firsties out there. There's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. And you can customize your very own luxuries a state island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings and collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. 
There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. All right. Well, welcome to yet another episode of Killing Time. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Billy? I'm Billy? doing. I'm doing. You know, fair. I would say fair. You do look like you're doing fair. You're slouched over. I am slouched over. You have a little look in your eye. I'm behind two. Yeah. Well, I've got two pillows. I'm leaning on two pillows. No you hat. Need a which is a plus. Step. No <laughs> hat. Little pep in my step. It's a good day. No hat, hat. which means which means I'm not hungover. Oh, wait, and and not depressed. Is is that now? Have we come to the conclusion that number one, this whole hat thing has become now? I don't know if the hat should be the mascot of the first degree or what, Mm -hmm. but it's become a whole thing. Have we decided that now it is just you're hungover? You're wearing the hat. You're hiding. Sad hat. No, it's I. No, it's a sad hat. It's either I'm sad or I'm hungover. It's one of those two. Yeah. Or okay. both. Or both. Usually both. <laughs> Which does come inside. Yeah. <laughs> Usually it's like the anxiety hat. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. The too lazy to shower hat. Or the too lazy to shower, shower hat too. Um, okay. So for this episode of Killing Time, I thought I would go back to our roots where we asked some questions in our Facebook group. Because uh, okay. we haven't done that in a very long time. Right. But real no. quick, can I say one thing that Something that deeply upset me. Um, It's a controversy that's been brewing for a while. So I was thrilled that when you Google me, Alexis Linkletter Jared is like the second (laughs) thing that comes up. And I was like, people see this cosmic connection that me and Jared Jared have for some unbeknownst reason, right? Right. But then someone connected these dots for me in our Facebook group and said, no, it's because people can't tell you and Jack apart. So when Jack is talking about Jared, they think it's you and that's, they think Jared's your boyfriend because it's Jack saying it and they think it's you. And I was like, that's terrible. That is not at all what I wanted or, or thought. I was like, (laughs) I thought people knew how much I love Jared separate from you and your relationship with Jared. And now it's just, it's all tarnished. Mm, This is tarnished. It's funny because I don't think we sound alike at all, but I guess we both. We both sort of, I was going to say, have a Californian accent, but you're not from California, so that wouldn't be it. Maybe we've just spent so much much time around each other that now we sort of have the same little nuance in the way that we... Yeah. Yeah. And we both don't have... We don't have high-pitched voices. We both have pretty 
low voices for ladies. So that could be it too. Um, but anyways, as me and Jared have a relationship outside Jacqueline, I just want to make that clear. So <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I had to defend my love- relationship with Jared. <laughs> But you know what's weird about Google is Google is different for everybody because some yeah. people's Google results were coming up differently. So it must be they're using an algorithm from all of the, the things that it's collecting well, from your consciousness and then mm. plopping out what serves you in the Google machine. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you go to Google Incognito, it should wipe away a lot of that stuff, and it should give you the baseline of what they would give everybody. Oh, that's because crazy. if you just did a bunch of searches for comic books and then did Alexis Linkletter, it might you might get an Alexis Linkletter comic book type of thing there. I don't even know what that what happens at that. It's God forbid, but yeah, that was mm. a weird. Um, it does. It, it links. But... I put comic books. I'm looking at a comic book right now. That's why. I could have said okay. cactus. So right. <laughs> okay. Anyways, um, well, just wanted to clear that up for everyone. Yeah, Alexis and I are separate people. What if somebody had listened to the podcast and thought that we've it's been just two people the whole time? That would be and hysterical. It's, and it's Billy and just one gal. And one gal. Billy that and a gal. Make sense. Yeah. It would make sense. Um, before I jump into our questions, we had just been talking before we started recording Killing Time. We've talked about how we want to um, – take killing time and make it its own episode in the week. So we'd have two first degree episodes per week. We'd have your case that's all uh, tied up in a nice little bow. And then we'd have killing time where we would get wasted and just fuck around for a while. But we want to know, we're trying to flesh out what our ideas would be. Right. So we have a few ideas, but I think this would be a great time to get some uh, first generated input about what those ideas could be. Absolutely. I'd love to. What do you guys want to hear on Killing Time each week? Yeah. Do you want us do you want us to talk about weird crime cases? Do you want us to not talk about crime at all? Do you want us to answer questions from the firsties? Like there's so many different ways that we could go about it that um, I think it'd be great to get some input from all of our lovely listeners. I'm here for it. You know? Give us the feedback. All right. Okay, so I'm going to jump into some questions that we have gotten over the months. These are older, but they're still great questions. So are you ready? Ready. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you could live in any fictional world, what Mm -hmm. would you like to live in? Mm. Candyland. That's a, that's an interesting one. But you Candy hate Land, the mud, the like chocolate mud swamp. I mean, <laughs> isn't there like a peppermint forest? Yeah, yes. it's, come I on, think guys. Just, I mean, try to do better than just, that. If you just took some acid, I think that you could you could transport yourself into a Candyland, dude. Or okay. hell, hell, sure. But no, Candyland Monopoly sounds fun, but Candyland's better. I love that you're going for a board well, game. Monopoly, Monopoly actually is a real place. So, it is. oh, we is it? That. Yeah. It's Where's Atlantic that? City. It's Atlantic <laughs> City. That's not a real place. <laughs> yes, it is. All those streets are Atlantic City. It is. Monop- I want yes. to like Pasco, get two hundred dollars. I want a Scotty. I want to be a little Scotty dog or a little thimble. Mm. Like that is not a real <laughs> place, Billy. Well, he's saying that the actual, the squares are real places. I never knew that, which is probably really embarrassing. I did not put that together at all. Where would you live, Billy? 
doesn't have to be a board game. I don't know why doesn't Alexis have to, Yeah, Alexis went straight games. to the board games. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm I think Scrabble. I think Scrabble would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Scrabble isn't but, a place. Um, Scrabble's not a place. <laughs> you're not, do, you, you're not doing it right. I'm not doing it right. I don't even go here. Uh, I don't. I don't know, man. I mean, maybe. You know, not Star Wars. Narnia? It seems like a real pain in the ass. Narnia, Narnia seems like a pain in the ass, too. I mean, Harry Potter, but we all know Harry Potter is real. We just haven't, you know, it's I mean, that was sort of underneath the surface, but that was mine. Harry Potter just for the food. Mm, no, you know? but butterbeer is not good. You know, I had really high hopes for a butterbeer and it let me down. Because yeah, number one, it's not alcoholic, and I was expecting more. You got you can ask for a spiked one though. What do they spike it with? Rum? Univer- I think it's rum, yeah. Ugh. And you could ask for Fireball Whiskey. They've got a whole secret what? menu in the in the Harry Potter bar. And you can you could ask for secret all, all the secret drinks. I think we were gonna go and on a first degree stuff. field trip to we Potter World right before our COVID. We were, and, and then a we Star were. Wars trip or Star Wars land until yeah, before then... Disneyland turned into a mass vaccination site. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe next year. They are I think they are they are gonna be opening up in a couple months. I, I heard that. Well, yeah, we'll make our field trips. So Harry Potter, Harry Potter would be that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. What about you, Jack? I would also, I would like. I mean, mine would be Harry Potter Land, or I would like to live on the Lost Island, but then Too be able scary. to. Scary. Everyone dies. I know, but it just is so good. You know and what else looks I fun? Would... The Jetsons, like modern. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Jetsons would be tight. I'm uh, there tight. for that. Mid-century uh-huh. modern kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Googie architecture. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Jack, I can I like see you that. like that. Like that picture I sent you this morning with you dressed as Lilu. That's like your. That's like a Jetsons vibe. Yeah, I would thrive in a Jetsons themed architectural house. I like that. Yes. Okay. Um, second question. What is your biggest pet peeve? Alexis knows mine. Well, you know mine. <laughs> I wonder why you know each other's biggest pet peeves. <laughs> Could it be because you're first my, I'll, I'll with go each first. other? My, my biggest pet peeve is when people don't give context to what they're saying. Where someone just goes, <laughs> he did blah, blah, blah. I'm like, who? Who are you talking about? <laughs> and Billy Meanwhile, will do that. Though. Like Billy will do that out of like nowhere like he kn- i'm like he's like you know what he he's really this i'm just like who what do you we mean? literally were talking about that person five minutes no five we seconds weren't ago. no we weren't and, and, and he there bounces was a around people without saying who mm-hmm. it is or what he's talking about and i i'm always like people say he or she randomly and i'm just like uh, give me explain what you're talking about that's probably one of mine other than people just not- being mean and on top of that, when somebody, when you're in a conversation about something and then the conversation has changed and then somebody, somebody circles back to the conversation that has been long since squashed That's and then talks about it no in context. a key, no context. That's exactly Circling what back when nobody hmm. has agreed to circle back. That's right. That, I hate that. Mm. You know because Maybe you know what I love? Jack, you know this about me. I need to close a, like, close a conversation with a summary. Like, like okay cool so we're saying this and going forward we're going to do this and if we didn't have that closing argument then the conversation's not over (laughs) eh? and once we have it we're not talking about that anymore yeah that's the thing is that i don't think i think i'm keeping up the conversations they haven't been closed yet and i'm just trying to make sure that we get to that summary point because we hadn't what's your biggest pet peeve billy 
<laughs> oh, he doesn't like to he doesn't like to do anything twice. Yes. Is that what it is? Okay, give it, yes. give if, context if, for things that you've done twice that you weren't happy about. Let's say like hypothetically. You do, <laughs> let, honestly, you 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 write an entire essay and then it gets deleted. And then you have to do it again. I it's think that's that everyone's pet peeve, though. That's no, like, no, 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 no. yeah, why? But, who but enjoys goes, doing that? No, that's that's the extreme example. But then it goes to it, it happens a lot where it's oh, we have to do that again because the lighting wasn't right or this or that. Well, Billy, it that just, is called filming to a television show. <laughs> but there are certain things that are you can tell that are potentially human error that did not have to be done twice. That will add another day to your life that you won't get back. Name that's my pet peeve. Name an example in an everyman's situation. Not I'm filming a TV show and the lighting wasn't right situation. Okay, um, example in a um, what do you consider an everyman? Uh, somebody that's not on a t- TV show as a job. Well, give me give me a give me a job though. Um, your job is you are. Uh, Mm, mm. I was going to say like a data inputter, but then I would know what that a data, yeah. <laughs> doing something twice would be. Uh huh. Um, a mailman. A mailman. Okay. Uh, you deliver all the uh, the mail packages, and then all the mail packages are eaten by wild wolves, and then you have to deliver those same mail packages again. Mm, that doesn't seem like it would happen. Yeah, but okay. Well, you don't know about that. Um, my, my biggest pet peeve, and I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but it's when people tell me about their dreams, I hate Mm. it more than anything, because a dream is always so good in your own head. But then when you try to describe it to somebody Mm -hmm. and it's all disjointed and fucked up and makes no sense. And you don't have, you're trying to like explain it with this excitement and this fervor and mm-hmm. nobody understands it because it's in your own little world Hate it. yeah don't don't tell us your dreams we don't want to know we have our own to you're decipher like, you're like i was swimming Alexa. through the ocean but the, and then and then i ended up on mars and the, but you were there but then you were like like half of a snake like that's how dreams end up sounding to me and i'm like i don't understand the fucking point of this dream you i'll know? tell a dream if it's yeah. super easy like I had one. I had one the other day where I was like, "Yeah, me and Caitlin Cleveland were in a plane crash together." Sorry, Caitlin. Caitlin um, does producing (laughs) on our podcast. Sorry, Caitlin. I didn't want to tell you this, but like that kind of dream, I'll share because it's like it's it's easy to explain. It's it's (laughs) one phrase. You know, you don't go into the details and you don't go into the storyline of the dream. Just if you can explain the dream in one sentence, then that's great. Then that's okay. All right. Right. I have a question about your dream. Did yes. you die in the dream? Because I'm always interested when people get hurt or die, if they actually die in the dream or they wake up from the death. No, I I didn't ever wake up from it. I didn't, I don't remember the impact. I just remember um, like the, the descent. Jesus. A scary descent, but I didn't remember the impact. And those just mean, I looked it up. It just means you're, you feel like you're losing control over something. And mm-hmm. I think at that particular point, I think the association with Caitlin is like she edits this podcast along with Jerry. You know what I mean? And I was like, and oh, maybe I have, too much, I have too much on my plate <laughs> is how I think I interpreted it, like where I was freaking out about my responsibilities. But sorry, Caitlin, you're fine. We're fine. We're all fine. It's going to be okay. I mean, a death dream is terrifying. <laughs> it's totally plain crap. That's my biggest. That is my biggest well, fear in general. And to dream that. Ugh. Awful. Well, what awful. is... Uh, 
Do you have a recurring nightmare, Jack? Jared does. Jared, come tell your recurring nightmare. It's fucking terrifying. So my recurring dream is I'm in the forest and it's really kind of like foggy and it's really quiet. It's dark and there's really thick trees. And then there's headlights in the distance and a school bus kind of slowly rolls up to me. And every single person that I know, like all my friends are on the bus and they're all dead. And then they start to wake up like zombie style and like walk off the bus towards me. And then I reach on my back and I have a shotgun (laughs) and then I pull it out and then I wake up every time. Okay. Let me ask you a question on this. How, when did you start having this dream? I was probably in my early twenties, early twenties. And it's all of his childhood best friends. Okay, all your childhood best friends. You started watching Walking Dead. You started playing video games. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that all makes sense. It's just I've had it like probably five times. Wow. But it's this like spooky school bus creeps through the Are you going to put this into any type of art? Ooh, maybe I already have like subconsciously. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. But I mean, I always wake up in a cold sweat every single time. It's like so terrifying. It feels so real. It's the worst recurring dream that you could ever have, I think, in my opinion. Everybody did. It's pretty awful. Awful. Pretty awful. All right. Well, I I just told you my dream. I said that my biggest pet peeve is telling dreams. And then here we are. We ended the episode (laughs) with a dream telling. Uh, All right. Our our irony has no bounds. Yeah, it doesn't. Well, we're running a little long. Uh, 17 minutes, time of death. Beep, beep. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts.